Welcome again to Reading List Leaders, a four-part oral gathering recorded as a podcast series with sound design by artist Kim Modik, produced by Frame Contemporary Art Finland within the context of the Rehearsing Hospitalities Public Program 2019-2023. This is part two of the third episode of Reading List Leaders podcast series. Our guest and speaker for today is Paramita Vohra. Thank you, Paramita. Uh, first, I want to welcome you to this conversation. I wanted to have a conversation with you, especially uh, because I've been I've been reading your columns for a long time, and I also find what you do in terms of films, what you do in terms of agents of ishq as something that really fills a lot of gaps uh, of society and also mm-hmm. in terms of my own knowledge base. I thought of you as being uh, somebody who would be able to help me understand how we can look at expanding the reading list and what are the different ways in which we can approach the reading list. Okay, great. Thank you. Maybe the first question that I would like to ask, what is your writing process? (laughs) Meet the deadline. (laughs) My writing process is called meet the deadline. (laughs) Sure. There are different phases in one's writing life. Um, And when you're very young, if, if you're a creative type, then, you know, you either draw or you write. And... Uh, I guess if you sing or dance, it's different, but otherwise you tend to draw right as a little person, right? And uh, I began to write stuff quite early, mostly because that was the sort of environment I grew up in. My mother liked to write and there were books in my house and people read, but there was absolutely no canonical, you know, urge or tendency in my house that you have to read X or you must do Y. So I, I think I also began writing in that sort of should write way. I love poetry, so I wrote some bad poetry as a young person. And the second phase of writing comes once you go to school and college where you're expected to write for a purpose. That purpose is often not very personal, you know. You're not really expected to bring in too much of what you think into what you do. And that's a strange one because that's more true of school where you often get penalized for writing what you feel instead of writing what you ought to write. It's only later when I went to college that I got encouraged to write as I feel, as I sense something. And then there's a phase of writing, which is basically a working life where you are a working writer. So you write either for money or for a purpose that is going to be publicly broadcast in some way for the newspaper, for a film, whatever else. Right. So I think in working as a working writer, my process of writing has shifted over the years which is an interesting process because when I was younger, it was a more systematic process. And I often longed to be that systematic person again, where I would actually uh, make a kind of list of notes before I started writing something or an outline. I would think my thoughts and then write them down in point form before writing them down. But I think the reason why I did that is actually quite technical because it was before computers. So... The way of writing directly onto the page, that happened mostly with letters or some personal communication. And since I began to use computers, more and more of my writing process has shifted to writing directly. 
without really preparing physically but thinking about it for a long time before if you know what i mean hmm. so i would say that the process of thinking which used to be very focused but you sat down to think uh has now been diffused into the thinking is ongoing while you're doing something else and then the process of writing is of course putting that thinking down into something but some of the thinking is happening as you are writing and i think this process is is a very, very different one when i started writing poems 2 years ago uh, i had this ideal idea that uh, the pen will touch paper and words will flow sure. but uh, mm-hmm. it does not work like that or it did not work like that for me so i had to take the systematic approach of making down a list uh, of things that i wanted to touch upon in fact even having to do some research to check facts so i i do mm-hmm. relate to maybe i had this question also keeping in mind the readings that you have done for this particular session from your columns that have been written uh, now in a span of almost 10 years or so and they do reflect on many current topics uh, or uh, you know something that is happening right now uh, and in fact when i was listening to them and also reading them it uh, it i could imagine okay what was the sound at that time when i was reading it in the newspaper or when i was reading it online so it um, it's also a record not just of what you have written but for a reader uh-huh. perhaps of that scenario where this happened so uh-huh. my question was also from that point of view that when you are looking at a, a current subject or where you feel this urge of writing about something what are then mm. your sources or how do you read this scene that you are going to write about i think you know um the act of reading is obviously very different for different people um reading anything you know uh, and i think often about uh, how when i was young like my early teens i was very interested like many young people in uh, t- telling the future you know what's my future going to be so i love to get my palm read i love to get my tarot cards read i've re- i read this whole book on reading faces so the notion that you don't read only words but you read actions you read people you read what's in the air in some senses uh was very compelling i think for me and the study of literature was interesting because it shows you that you know there is no one way of writing and reading that in fact at different moments in the world it's not that people wrote about different topics but more that different forms came into being at different moments in the world i mean i respond to that idea a lot that actually different sorts of things are happening at the same time and there is this entire kind of a life world as they call it that we're all a part of and that's a part of us so i think that for me i've never found it very interesting to do only one thing or take an interest in only one thing right and i'm not a very studious person so the idea of researching things in books has always really bored me but the idea of finding it outside in the world is really exciting for me so perhaps perhaps I, i would say that i read things like somebody who likes to do puzzles i'm very curious about why people do what they do and i'm very curious about myself 
So I guess I observe my reactions to things a lot. Uh, why don't I like something? Why does that person irritate me so much? What's my sensory response to any particular moment is quite an important way for me to understand it, let's say. Mm-hmm. And I do think that in a sense, the senses are always reading at the same time. We have come to think of the word as being the only thing we read. And then within the idea of the word that we are reading, a type of word is more important than another type of word. Mm-hmm. Right? There's a hierarchy of which words matter, whose words matter and so on. Yes. But actually, I think that the senses that we have are continuously reading the world. And they're continuously playing back an understanding of the world to you. And people call it experience, but experience is actually knowledge, right? Hmm. So I think for me, those are the things that I'm really reading. Therefore, I don't separate uh, looking at semiotics from reading poetry. For me, it's all the same, right? And I guess when I'm writing about something current, when I decide to write about something, it can happen through the sheer impulse that can see after some time what is underneath what people are saying. Hmm. So what is called subtext is much more interesting for me than the text. After all, it is subtexts which generate texts, right? Yeah. If you write something and I simply write another version of that, then what am I doing? That's pretty boring, I think. But the fact is that I read something between your lines which caused me to write new lines is really how culture progresses. When when I love this, I love this process of playing Antakshari mm-hmm. or these games where people recite poems which are associative, so that you recite a couplet in Urdu about say longing, and I take the feeling of that and I recite a couplet in return, which is sort of connected but different. Mm-hmm. So these games where people where there's a saval jawab, you know, there's mm-hmm. a back and forth. I find these to be the most interesting cultural and there are cultural moments in which our separation and our joinage both are present. I guess I look for those things in a natural sense and drawn to those things where I can see the way that we all have a commonality as well as a difference. So to give you an example, I don't like Eshwarya Rai, mm-hmm. the actress who was Miss World. But once there was a big hue and cry about the fact that she wore purple lipstick at Cannes. And I found this bizarre, right? Because the obsession with wanting to bring her down for wearing purple lipstick, the fact that she was this powerful woman of post-liberalization India, who is also not powerful because she is completely playing into gender norms, right? But at the same time, she is part of a new and growing economy where she has power, she has mobility. So here she is at a certain age in her life. She's 40-something. She's had a baby. She took a huge sabbatical in order to have the baby. Then she appears at Khan wearing purple lipstick and people really come down hard on the purple lipstick. But for me, that purple lipstick is emblematic of so many other responses that people have to her. And also, it's a poetic reading of a person wanting to break out or something. I think these kinds of things which people think are not important, but which seem to be packed with meanings, you know, they're like little nodes of all the different things that are happening in society, politically, uh, aesthetically, economically, uh, and and they offer up themselves for multiple readings. So the, I would say they're like marbles, you know, mm-hmm. the marbles that kids play with, because they have many things inside them. Yeah. My eye is drawn to those kinds of things, which seem to be small 
not very important, but they're shiny in that way. And when you pick them up and you really look at them, you see there's a lot of different colors inside the story. Sure. So, and I think that a political thing would not, like a conventional political topic wouldn't interest me so much unless I saw that all those meanings are resident in that story. Uh, I was studying here two years ago and there is a certain reading or there are certain texts that are handed over and one reads and one reads it with a certain kind of curiosity or also a certain kind of aspiration to that kind of writing that you think that okay one day I too will have such thoughts about uh, different ideas whether it is art or life and so on and so forth. And yet in that one has to still find, you know, a grain that you can kind of push against so that you can ask important questions or you can ask questions uh, whether they're important or not. This is something that I never experienced uh, in terms of the kind of schooling that I had before this. And and so it was very difficult for me to, to even um, recognize what I need to scratch a little more or what I need to like really rub against in that sense. And I was wondering if you had some kind of a clue because just now with this example of Eshwarya Rai and the purple lipstick, it was almost um. that you are able to find that which can be resisted even in even in say your dislike of her in that sense you know so i think one of the things that uh, we understand through life is that nothing is fixed everything changes right hmm. our feelings change something we hated a vegetable we hated as a child becomes appealing as an adult uh, to give the most common example <laughs> yeah. but even painful experiences subsequently don't hurt that much. Things that made you angry now make sense. Okay? Hmm. You forgive yourself your stupidities. When you look back at an old photograph of yourself and you think, why did I feel I was ugly? I was actually quite pretty. So the awareness that the gaze shifts, the feeling shifts, the understanding of the world is perpetually shifting and that it is you that have to grow hmm. and understand the world over and over again. Right? I think that that feeling... Some people have it, maybe all people have it, I really don't know. But I think maybe I have it because of a number of reasons. One being that I never lived in one place as a child. I was constantly shifting to new places. That means I was constantly having to interpret a new space and also make myself intelligible to a new space, right? And in every new space you go to, people actually might invalidate you or exoticize you. One of the two things. And sometimes they may do both together. So I think this is an, an interesting experience that one has. And in order to survive it, you may conform to what's out there. You may conform to somebody else's gaze. Or you might rest yourself free from their gaze to follow your own logic of what makes sense. If you've been a colonial subject, you already have that double gaze, right? You already grew up speaking two or three or four languages if you're an English-speaking person in India. So you're already offered multiple perspectives when you do that. The thing that I feel about a lot of readings that we are asked to aspire to is that they are simply hierarchies of class and caste and race and gender. Uh, they're not always beautiful in themselves, although sometimes they are. Right? Yeah. But 
there is a flatness and a reverence that sets into what is supposed to be great. And I think that if something brings you pleasure, which is the logic I use for what I think is great, and when I say pleasure, that pleasure can be intellectual also, right? Like something is difficult, but it's a it's a good difficulty, and you're trying hard to understand because you know there's something fabulous behind the understanding. Hmm. I think that's not a logic by which you are often encouraged to read things. And that's because these ways of reading arise from certain systems and they are meant to maintain certain systems. But eventually, what is the purpose of reading, of poetry and of art? It is to refine yourself, to express the thing which has not yet been expressed. Art does not exist in order to only reiterate what we already know, although it may do that and it may bring comfort from that. But art also exists to tangibilize that which is just forming. So the fact that we draw a sunset or photograph a sunset over and over again is totally indicative that every time the world turns, we see it's forming again in a way. Right? The day forms over and over again. And so the day is also different each time, but also the same. So this is not something that is divorced from nature, hmm. the way that we think about art. No, it's that we describe the world over and over because it is strangely the same, yet never the same. And in order to be able to understand how it is not the same, we rely on our senses, not on words. And from our senses, we generate the words to say, this is what I saw, this is what I understood, this is what I felt. So I think that newness comes from being able to do that, being able to say something isn't what you say it is anymore. You know, I mean, there are so many films that are considered to be important merely because they arise out of a system that validates them. But it may be that when you and I watch it, we feel like this is extremely boring. I don't find it interesting. And these are the reasons I don't find it interesting. One has to be able to have the confidence for that. This confidence is a very precarious thing because you don't have any proof that this confidence is going to lead you down any place nice. But I guess that's also it, that art is often made by loners. No? And so it's okay, you don't mind being the loner who says what they think and slowly learns to say it better and better because people don't always understand it at first. So I think this process of making yourself intelligible to the world is partly the process of reading the world and reading yourself back to it. So I don't see it as being separated, that I'm sitting outside the world and looking at it. I think I'm inside that world. And when I'm thinking about something, I'm also writing about myself, actually. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's one kind of writing. I don't think everybody is that way. But I think my writing is definitely of the kind that I'm writing about the world, but I'm writing about myself at the same time. And yes, I'm trying to understand myself in relationship to the world and the world in relationship to me both. And for me, it's important that I that there be a place for both things. That I don't start thinking that the way that I think is the only way to think or, the, or that mine is the only valid position. Because I know there's a big world out there that's complicated and I want to be able to see it in its variegatedness. Yeah. But I don't want to cancel myself out when I'm describing the world. Yes, that's so important. Thank you. The next thing that I want to ask is uh, the space in which you write and by space or the space that maybe contains your writing. 
So, mm-hmm. uh, for example, with the columns, it's the newspaper, and the newspaper mm-hmm. one understands is a little more public than, say, what a book would be. Yeah, the number of people that it can reach is far more. Is that mm-hmm. something you are conscious of it, whether it is in terms of the vocabulary that you use or uh, how accessible you can keep it? I'm not. I mean, this is not to say that people who write books keep it inaccessible. but because you're doing it over and over again especially in terms of say a weekly column where you're arriving at the same space you know somebody can catch you there sort of a thing it's almost like if you and thinks of it as a as somebody physically entering a space and announcing something at the same time every week so i, I was just wondering if you ever feel that uh, somebody is going to kind of hold you accountable to certain ideas or aspects I think you know writing in the newspaper uh, it's a very interesting space one of the things that i love about writing in a newspaper is that i'm writing alongside many other things i like the fact that people are reading sports reading business reading my column doing the crossword reading the horoscope all in the same place so this is something that i actually relish as a place to be in so let's say it's a queer space in that way right it's not a hierarchical space even though there's a hierarchy in terms of importance of news from front to back and i think that writing in the newspaper has changed over the years it'll be 10 years this weekend since i started writing my column in midday at political piece was the first column i ever wrote right it was my first column in paranormal activity hmm. and i think that 10 years ago you imagined the column being read in the newspaper and you didn't have a very strong sense of who's reading it except it's just people who read the paper and sunday midday is read by most people in bombay so that was that now you know that you are read not only in the paper but you are read on the internet as well and there's a definite shift there because you know in the early years of writing uh, the column people used to respond in the comments of the website to the column and sometimes they used to get angry or disagree or be rude or whatever and it used to shake me up or sometimes make me happy if they wrote nice things but in the 10 years since then of course everything else everything happens on social media so i think that you become far more anxious and self-conscious about being read and it's a great battle to disconnect yourself from that anxiety so that's definitely changed in terms of being anxious I think that we ourselves can see that our writing changes in response to that anxiety because you can have a good watchfulness you can become more and more aware of different political considerations when you're writing simple things like say the pronouns you use and how we think about gender today as opposed to gender 10 years ago you would be much more sensitive to that today than you might have been 10 years ago so i think that an awareness of the world is a good thing it's a good thing to be watching yourself when i got trolled for the first time like badly trolled it changed the way i was writing not in a bad way in fact i became much more thoughtful about making an easy joke about someone i mean it's so tempting to be clever and to make clever jokes or be sarcastic about somebody right it was so traumatic to be trolled and people said so many different things so casually that i began to think very hard about clever utterances I mean I've never been a mean or malicious type of writer but cleverness is always on the edge right it's always a little yeah. bit making fun of somebody's weakness hmm. so I think it made me thoughtful about how can I be funny and how can I still 
make pointed remarks without being mean like how to not be mean but not be boring mm-hmm. became a question in my mind right so i think that you go through all these processes then you grow from these processes sometimes you become a little suffocated by the outside world and i think i went through a phase in which i used to feel very tense when i wrote my column you know uh, what about this line will somebody say this i used to write and rewrite the final a few times like a lawyer almost i didn't love that phase it's okay it's it's a phase you go through when you get trolled a few times when people don't understand you understand that actually you are writing to an audience that is much more varied than you knew and that is democracy it's understanding that there are many kinds of people and they can interpret what you say in many many ways and so it becomes a new journey of being able to keep that in mind without cancelling yourself out right mm. in the end the process is always the same but sometimes it can be more anxiety ridden than other times and sometimes it can be pleasurable right now i don't feel that much anxiety so i feel my writing is changing again so if i look back at my columns i can identify moments when my writing changed when it became more tense when it became more relaxed and so on being accessible is a big question for me and it's very important to me to be accessible without being oversimplified i want to say exactly what i want to say i don't want to not say everything right i mean every uh, friday which is the day that i have to submit my column most fridays i'm crying on my friend's shoulder saying why did i choose such a difficult topic to write 550 words what's wrong with me and it's true that the first draft of my column is often 1500 words mm-hmm. and then i have to like bring it down to 550 and it's a kind of whittling process polishing process many other types of things and i'm sure that impacts the writing and the older i grow the more i seem to have to say about something right so the columns do become a bit more dense so i don't want to stop doing that mm-hmm. i don't want to start writing only about easy subjects and i don't want to write only about trending topics it's become harder and harder to swim against the tide of the trending topic that because every only focus on one theme every week that you also have to write about that theme and sometimes readers will say to you that i have been waiting for you to write about x i hope your column next week is going to be about this topic and you're just like actually no it's not it's going to be about aprons or whatever it's going to be about right so the thing is that it, it's it's a kind of a, a scuffle with the tide of topics and trending topics at any given time so i want to keep that space for the way i want to say things things i want to say but i want to be aware that there is a listener there's a reader who's maybe searching for certain things or understand things in a certain way and my way out is not to simplify actually but in fact to make sure i'm never boring like if somebody told me that one of my columns was boring i think i would be depressed for a week oh. <laughs> sure i understand <laughs> I mean like for me boring is the worst thing anything can be. Okay. I, I mean you may not like it, you may disagree with it, you may have problems with it but if you say it's boring it really troubles me. Mm-hmm. And in fact one time I wrote a column I was in a very big hurry it was a very difficult week for me so I wrote a column about a subject that was not even of interest to me but I knew I could say something reasonably interesting about the topic. And a friend of mine who wrote to me saying like I thought you would write about such and such thing but now you just wrote about same old you know something and i was extremely stung and i was very angry and we had a big fight but i was stung because i also knew it was partly true and i didn't want to be boring and i felt i had been right so for me to stay engaging in different ways is very important and i think that is an inclusive frame if people are receiving pleasure from reading your column they are more likely to enter an unknown terrain 
what I really enjoy is to try to understand like what is your attention going to and be diverted <laughs> towards that and kind of be amazed at what all can attention be given to. So for me, I think <laughs> that is... You know, uh, I often make this joke that all film festivals in the world want a virgin bride because they won't take your film if it's not a premiere, right? And I find that ridiculous. Like, you're a film festival. Why is it so important to you that the film should never have been shown in any other festival in the world before? So there are kind of these hierarchies of purity that are created. And I think purity is at the heart of many things that we are told matter and don't matter. Mm. And when you enter a piece of work, you want to know what it's going to be and that you're going to be safe from any unexpected force. What's the fucking point? <laughs> That's what I mean. It's really boring, you know? So I feel like there is an insistence in reading my work, which is why it maybe can't be hugely mainstream, but it is partially mainstream. Hmm. But there is an insistence that I do make, I think, from ask of the reader that you come with me for this time and wait till the end to know what I'm saying. It won't be boring. We will have fun along the way. But let's just walk to the end of this line together. So it's very much like kind of approach, right? Yes. So there is a kind of trust, but it's not a it's not a blind trust. Like from line one onwards, I will try to always offer you something. At every step, I'll offer you something, but I'm not going to tell you right up top what I'm going to say at the end. I want to go on the journey together because you're inhabiting a different logic for some time. I mean, that's how I learn something new, by inhabiting a different logic. When I watch a film, when I hear a song, when I read a poem, I inhabit another logic, right? It's very exciting when somebody does something beautifully because you feel it like an electric current through your body. Yes. And if you're not going to feel alive, then why are you reading this thing? When we say life affirming, it doesn't mean it's warm and fuzzy. It enlivens our senses. It makes us confident and capable of seeing the world on our own terms. It's not only that white people colonizing brown people, although they've done it and like the world is taking forever to get out of that. But capitalism colonizes our minds. Caste colonizes our minds. Gender colonizes our minds. It tells us that there is only one way of thinking. If you think differently from this, don't say it out loud. And I'm saying, have the confidence of your feelings and say them out loud. It's very difficult because people are all the time publicly only affirming the thing which everybody else affirms while privately liking something else. So look at the degree of shame and lack of confidence which, with which they're operating in the world. And I think that's a violent thing to do to yourself. So as far as I'm concerned, if I love a Hindi film song, I'm not going to love it in a condescending fashion, like, oh my God, isn't it quaint how the natives are making up these funny songs? I hate it when people do that. I don't want to look down on anything. If I like it, I'll write about it. If I dislike it, but I'll take it very seriously and explain why I dislike it. I won't just look down on it because it's the thing to do. I've written like a very long essay on Chetan Bhagat. People write about Chetan Bhagat like, oh, he's so stupid, oh, he's whatever. They write all these things about him. It's so easy to do that. Somebody commented on that piece that your essay is as long as the book. And it was indeed a very long essay. But I did a kind of reading diary of the book, right? So I was reading it and I was taking the book seriously. And so I think I have earned the right to critique it because I never dismissed it. Whatever I'm going to critique, I'm going to take very seriously. I'm really going to think of it, really going to try to see it from its own point of view and then say, I see why it is doing what it is doing, but I don't agree with it for these reasons. And I think these are things I'm critical of. And I think that's a respectful way to disagree with something. Yes, thank you for these 
wonderful answers i'm very happy with the conversation mm-hmm. so far i think this the kind of curiosities that i had uh, in terms of not just the process but really like this idea of expanding the reading list i think that's that one thing that i'm seeking by the reading list i mean even in your conversation you describe different ways of reading so that already opens the word up a lot more and i especially like this uh, idea that you mentioned about why you like writing for the newspaper because of this because of the fact that you are being read alongside different other things like that perhaps is the next step forward for the spaces that that seem to have fossilized certain kind of ways of reading that it can happen alongside it doesn't have to empty out and then something new must begin it can still go alongside also that you know one way is not supplanted by another way actually ways kind of coexist and leak into each other right we need to value the thing which two people read as well as the thing which two million or two billion people read right both the things are important but they are important for different reasons and we can't start living in a world where we say only one of those reasons matter something is great because only a few people can understand it i mean it's great and it's difficult and so only a few people have the capacity to understand it for any number of reasons and there's something which millions of people love and it's beautiful also differently beautiful and somehow this acknowledgement is important and there's one more thing i wanted to say which is you know people feel frustrated with me because i write in the newspaper and they feel i'm wasting what i'm doing uh because it's ephemeral and that i should be writing a book and maybe they are right i really don't know yeah maybe that would make me more important or significant in the conventional world and every artist yearns to be significant even when they look down on significance <laughs> so mm. that's you know i think that what i write in the paper should matter for itself i, I insist that you take it seriously and sometimes people also say like oh you're writing in a local newspaper it's a tabloid and they don't take it as seriously as the person who is writing in a national newspaper and op-ed you know but i say i don't know a single fucking newspaper that would give me the space to write the kind of things i write at the national level they simply don't have the imagination the problem is them the problem is on me i'm not confused about that so i'm not waiting to be chosen by prince charming i'm not interested in being cinderella i've got plenty of shoes if i lose one glass slipper i'm not going to wait for somebody to come and give it to me so i'm good i have for 10 years written about everything i've written about censorship i've written about purple lipstick i've written about maroon lipstick <laughs> i've written about people's utensils being left behind after they give you yes the doggy bags <laughs> yeah. home about leftovers <laughs> i mean i've done every single thing in the world and i have demonstrated by doing that that there is an audience that wants to read these apparently difficult and definitely pleasurable Yes. things which are not considered to be serious but there's a big audience for it i'm pretty amazed in a good way you know i'm not like shocked amazed but thrilled amazed that now there are people who use some of my columns as part of syllabi there is a chapter in a book by an academic called ulka anjaria which is about my columns amongst my other writing and i think that's how you also expand the reading list hmm. i think that reading lists are simply a kind of antakshari right like you've got the letter ma now what song are you going to sing i don't know which song you'll sing there's no one song there are millions of songs or if you look at the hindi film song 
there are canons of Hindi film songs. These are the best songs of Mohammad Rafi. These are the best songs of Kishore Kumar. But the fact remains that there are millions of Hindi film songs that you are continuously discovering, like absolute pieces of wonder. Yeah. And Hindi film songs bring together the talents of an incredible number of people, right? Mm-hmm. Great poets, great composers, different folk musics, different classical musics, stolen tunes from other places, sometimes 12 musicians, 20 musicians. And then, of course, you're lip-synced by somebody else on screen, so they add the layer of visuality. And then you hear it, and it becomes a part of you, and you carry it forward into the world. And actually, this is really how art grows. So I have trust in love, and I trust that people will see my films and read my stuff and love it. And because they love it, I, I think very few people have the confidence of the thing they love. They may not always say it publicly, but there are enough people who have confidence in the things they love to take that work forward, you know? If it has a meaning for somebody, they will take it forward. If what you did is meaningless, then, yeah, it may not matter, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I believe that there is a sort of political meaning in saying that what is written in the public space is important. But I feel very often the dismissal is like, oh, that girl, she sleeps with everybody. Oh, you're writing a column every week. You're giving it away for very little, you know? So this virginity issue of you'll keep it just for a book. You're saving your honor for a book. Then I feel, why be so honorable and boring? (laughs) Write a book because you really want to write a book, you know? And I think the other thing is that because I write screenplays, I write columns, I write longer essays. I've written some academic essays. Mm. I've written short stories. So I write promiscuously across many different forms because I'm really interested in how form works. I like to understand how something is made and then try to make it, you know. Forms impact each other. We don't write the same way today as we wrote before the invention of cinema. Once we had cinema, writing became different. And when you write for cinema, you can write in a number of different ways. You can write theatrically, poetically. You don't only write three-act structures which move fast. You write a number of different sorts of things. I used to write a column about love in another newspaper for four years. And in that column, I had thought to myself that I will make each column like a Hindi film song. How, how do I map what is in the Hindi film song onto words? How do I make an equivalent form? Right? These are also like little puzzle challenges writers can set for themselves. Hmm. But if I had to make a written version of a song, what would it feel like? Or if I had to make a written version of a painting, which isn't describing the painting, but which is a translation of the idea of the painting in words, what would it be? So I think that this kind of crossing the borders of the senses all the time, the senses feeding each other, can also be mapped onto the way that different forms feed each other. Wow. This was great, Paramita. Really, really nice. I so enjoyed it (laughs) speaking with you. I'm happy for that. A pleasure indeed listening to Paramita Vohra, offering us a glimpse into many worlds through her writing. I'm your host, Vidha Soumya, and you've been listening to the third oral gathering of Reading List Leaders, a four-part podcast series produced by Frame Contemporary Art Finland within the context of Rehearsing Hospitality's public program 2019-2023. to